Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus, this is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. We can't please God without it. Salvation is impossible without it. It is this indispensable component of the Christian belief system. Faith. There's a word that's used a lot around church, and it's a good word, but exactly what does faith look like? What does a faith-filled life look like? It's easy to have faith when life is easy, but the reason is because it doesn't really require any faith. But it is critical that you have faith when life is in crisis. Merry Christmas and welcome to Crosswalk. We're in the second week of our Christmas series, What God Wants for Christmas. Last week, we looked at the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and a life of surrender. Today, we're in Matthew chapter 1, where Pastor Clay is going to show us from the life of Joseph what a faith-filled life should look like. You know, you know, almost without question, what his family and friends are saying to him. Faith believes God It believes God no matter how unbelievable it may seem. Faith is obviously a very important concept, but a lot of people have some misconceptions about what faith really is and what it looks like in our lives. As always, we're glad you've joined us for this important study. Now here's Pastor Clay. Maybe you've heard this story, but... During uh, the awful time uh, during World War II in what's called uh, the Blitz, uh, when, the, when uh, Nazi Germany was bombing uh, the people of London at night, um, there's, there's a story of a man uh, who came running out of a, a building that had been bombed hold, holding his little boy uh, by the hand. Um, seeking shelter, obviously, as quickly as he could, as the bombs are falling everywhere. Uh, there was a, uh, uh, a hole from a, from a bomb that had dropped. There's a, there was a hole in the front yard of the building that they had just run out of. And the man uh, jumped down into the shell, you know, the, the hole that was made by the shell when it landed, the bomb, and he jumped down into the hole and then he turned around and, and told his son to jump. Well, in the darkness, his son couldn't see anything. It was just a hole. And he heard his dad's voice, but he, but he couldn't see his dad. And so he, he, he yells, he says, I, I can't see you. I'm afraid. I can't see you. And the dad, looking up... Um, to the, to the skyline of the buildings that were on fire, responded and said, but I can see you, son, jump. Faith, right? Faith. It is this indispensable uh, quality, this indispensable component of the Christian faith, of the Christian belief system. Faith. We can't please God without it, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Salvation is impossible without it, or, uh, Hebrews, yeah, Ephesians 2.8. And, and even the, the daily walking the Christ-like life. You guys know what I mean by that? Walking the Christ-like life 
is impossible without it. But it's so hard sometimes. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep. And did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, in that name, that great name, that name that is above all names, the name of Jesus, we gather here in this place today. He is the reason for the season. There is no season without him. Lord God, there is no reason for hope, there is no joy, there is no peace, not really, in this world without Jesus. And so we thank you for this magnificent story, and we ask today that as we look at this text and we talk about this this thing called faith, that you would instill into our hearts and lives uh, the importance of it, um, and, and, and how to... How to do it, Lord. How to live faith out in our lives. Thank you for each person who is here in this faith journey. And each person in this place is probably at a different stage in their faith journey. And I pray that today would be an encouragement to each one of us as we look at your word and we ponder the importance of faith and just exactly what it means that your son came to make life and life more abundant possible. In his name we ask it. Amen. Let's talk this morning about a faith-filled life. A faith-filled life. We're, this series is, is what God wants for Christmas. And we've established the fact that what God wants for Christmas is you. And last week we, we emphasized the fact that, that what God wants from you is a surrendered life. That it is in that surrender that, that you're coming to God and discovering all that he has for you. And, and then this week we're talking about this faith-filled life. That this, as I said, this indispensable component that should be uh, a vibrant, active part of our lives. You guys ever, have you ever gotten some news that when you got it, you felt like you'd been kicked in the stomach? I mean, it just so so unexpected and so out of the middle of nowhere that when you got it, you just felt like you'd been kicked in the stomach and maybe, maybe even you felt a little physically ill 
as a result of having received the news. You ever, you ever received any news like that? Because I'm kind of thinking that, that Joseph must have, must have felt that way when he got this news. We don't know how Joseph first received the news. We, we don't know how, how word first came to him of Mary's pregnancy. I would like to think that Mary had the opportunity uh, to, to break it to him. But of course, he, he, he can't believe her, right? I mean, he can't believe her. He loved her. We know he loved her. I, I think that's pretty obvious from the fact that the text tells us that, that he desired to, to, to divorce her, to put her away, things the way King James puts it, uh, quietly. Uh, you, you may or may not know this, but, but in, the, in the Jewish culture, uh, betro- what, what they would call the betrothal period, what we might refer to as an engagement, uh, it, it was a legally binding uh, arrangement. They hadn't come together physically yet, but, but they were legally bound together. Now, if Joseph wants to, he can, he can play the victim in all this, can he? He can, he can air Mary's supposed dirty laundry. He can, he can milk this for what it's worth. He can, but he, do, he, do, he doesn't do that. He, he doesn't do that. He desires just to, just to quietly put this thing away, to close this chapter on, on this ugly part of his life because he can't possibly believe her that she's pregnant, but she hasn't slept with another man. How, how could he? But then Joseph has a dream. Now, it should be said that in, in the Middle Eastern culture, certainly during that time, dreams tended to have more significance than I think they do in our culture. You know, when we have a dream, we're just like, wow, that was, that was weird, you know, right? But, and I, I don't dream very much. I, don't, I know some people dream a lot, but I don't dream very much. But I was just telling Cindy, I had this dream earlier this week where uh, I was in some motel room and uh, some, some guy uh, was in there, he comes in there, and, and I've got these guns laying around. And I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of guns, but... Uh, you know, I gotta, anyway, this is good. my guns are laying around, and this guy walks in and picks up one of my guns and <laughs> just fires it through the ceiling. Of course, there's other, other uh, rooms above me and all that stuff. So, you know, I panic. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe he just did that. And I, and I grab up my guns, and I go running out the door to run to, uh, like, the lobby area or whatever to tell them what had happened. And then when I got about halfway there, I said, well, this may not be a good idea to run in there with all these guns in, in my hand and stuff. And so I look around, and there's, like, this little booth there. Uh, like a booth like where, where kids would get out of it. It used to be these booths where kids would get out of the rain uh, when they're waiting for at the bus stop. You know what I'm talking about? It was like a booth there, and I thought, well, I'll put them in there. And I put them in there, and I go in and tell them, and the police come, and the police come back, and the guns aren't in the booth. They can't find the guns in the booth, and, and then I woke up. <laughs> I mean, I mean what, what is that? What is that? What, what, is, what is the lesson? What, what is the lesson in that? Don't, don't leave... Don't leave guns, uh, don't leave your guns lying around in a motel. I, I, I don't know. So, you know, that, that's how it is for us with dreams. We don't, we don't tend to, I mean, it, it's just a dream. But there must have been something about this dream that, that, that gave more significance to it. There must have been, there was something about this dream that made Joseph know that this was from God. I said a moment ago that faith can be hard sometimes. But here, here's, here's, what I want you to, here's what I want you to get a hold of this morning. 
Having faith isn't as hard as you think. Having faith isn't really as hard as you think. You know, it's, uh, let's face it, this, this story, this is a whopper, right? Mary is a virgin. She's claiming to still be a virgin. And yet she's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. And she hasn't had a physical sexual relationship with, with any man, Joseph or, or any other man. But now she's going to have a baby. That, that is a bona fide, would you all agree with this? That is a bona fide miracle. Would you agree with that? You know, it is that very idea, it is that very idea of, of miracles, of supernatural, that ends up being a stumbling block for many people to believe in God. It is these very ideas in Scripture, that it is the very idea that, that God could, could part the Red Sea or, or walk on water or come back to life after three days or conceive a child through supernatural. It, it is those supernatural uh, occurrences, records in Scripture that for many people become a stumbling block for them to believe. How is it the Apostle Paul puts it in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? For the, this idea of the cross, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is, it is the power of God. God became a man and he became a man and he went to the cross and he died. God died on a cross and then after he died, he came back to life in three days. That, that's foolishness. That, that, that's crazy. Why? Because that's, that's illogical. That's impossible. That's miraculous. It is that very idea that causes people to stumble. But I would beg to differ. I would say that these occurrences uh, that we read about in Scripture, rather than being a stumbling block to a person's belief, I believe that these occurrences actually give valid evidence for the actual existence of the God that we believe in. Let me, let me see if I can explain what I mean by that. When we talk about miraculous events, uh, we sometimes, or let's say even say the the gift of life, right? The birth of a child. We sometimes say something like, you know, uh, that new baby, that's, that's a miracle. Life, that, that new birth, that, that's a, a miracle. But technically, it's, it's not. Now, when we say something like that, we're speaking philosophically about the, the beauty and the wonder of life, right? And that's fine. I, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that it's quite appropriate to, to be awed by the gift of life and the birth of a, a, of a new child. But the birth of a child, technically, scientifically, is a, is a biological process where a, a female's egg comes, becomes uh, in contact with male seed and a pregnancy occurs. Birth comes about as a result of that. It's a result of the natural processes that, that obviously I believe God put in place, but it's a result of the natural, scientific, biological processes that God put in place. But now think about it. Scripture says, Scripture reveals that God is a self, uh, uh, that God, let me put it this way, 
Scripture reveals that God is this all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present, eternal being. You don't have to read far in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, you know, you don't have to read far to come to this conclusion that the Bible teaches that God is this all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present, eternal being. Now, a person may or may not believe that, but, but without question, that is what Scripture teaches. Right? Would you agree? So, let me ask you this. Would it, would it not make sense that if God is a all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere-present, eternal being, would it not make sense that God would, would be able to reveal himself in a way that would be considered, from our perspective, that would be considered supernatural or miraculous? Wouldn't it seem rational, in, even to use that term, wouldn't it even seem rational that if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present, eternal being, wouldn't it seem rational that he could reveal himself in miraculous ways? You understand where I'm going with this this morning? You and me performing some miracle is not rational because we do not have the power to overcome natural laws, right? I, I don't think y'all have the ability to walk on water, right, to, and, and, and to suspend the law of gravity. I don't think you do. But wouldn't it be rational to think if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present, eternal being, wouldn't it be rational to think that he would have the ability to suspend the biological laws uh, that would cause a child to conceive? Wouldn't it seem rational to think that God could suspend the laws of gravity and and part the Red Sea or walk on water? Wouldn't it be reasonable to think that God would have the ability to to suspend the laws of life and death and, and, and come back to life, rise from the grave? I think it's actually perfectly rational. And so what I'm saying is it's not... It's not irrational to believe that God could do these things. If God exists, it seems perfectly rational that he would be able to do this. So having faith is, is not as hard as you think. But having said that, I'll say this. Living faith is harder than you think. Can I get a whoop whoop? Living faith is harder than you think. I, I, love, I love verse... Uh, 24 and 25 there of Matthew 1. It says, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Listen. When the dream is over, when the sun comes up, Joseph's got to get up out of that bed and he's got to make a decision. Is he going to believe what his natural Self says to him, and probably everybody else, or is he going to believe what God has said to him? Because listen, you know, you know almost without question what his family and friends are saying to him. Joseph, Joseph, you deserve a good girl, Joseph. Joseph, that, that, that baby is not even yours, Joseph. You're going to take responsibility for a baby that's not even yours? Joseph, if you marry that girl, everybody's going to end up assuming that you really did get her pregnant when you said you didn't. And Joseph, you'll no longer be considered a righteous man. See, living our faith is harder. 
than you think. But listen, here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway from it this morning. Faith believes God no matter how unbelievable. That's what faith does. It believes God no matter how unbelievable it may seem. No matter how the circumstances may look, no matter how things may be going, no matter what things are going on, faith believes God no matter how unbelievable. That's, that's in essence, what Joseph does. It's unbelievable to think that Mary could be pregnant, but not because she's, she hasn't slept with another man. That's, that's unbelievable to think. It is that idea of holding on and believing God, no matter how unbelievable it may be. Because listen, can I, I know y'all know this, but, but can I say this to you this morning? Can I just remind you of this? It's easy to have faith when life is easy, right? When the, uh, it's easy to have faith in God and his provision for your life when you got a great job and a steady paycheck coming in every week. But can you have faith? Can you have faith when you're notified that your services are no longer needed, that, that your employment is terminated like it was last week for Paul Spearing and Karen Armstrong after years of faithful service at Glaxo? Can you have faith then? It, it's easy to have faith when everybody wants you and everybody needs you and, and people are clamoring for your, for your skills, but can you still have faith when... When the occupation that you have trained in and served in and and been so successful at, when suddenly for two years nobody seems to want you, like Nate Jones, can you have faith then? It is easy to have faith in God's protection for your life. When all the tests come back as normal, when when, when, when the health is good, can you have faith when the results don't come back the way you're hoping they would come back? like they did for the Browns this week in Little Felicity? See, it's, it's easy to have faith when life is easy. And the reason, and you already know this, but the reason is because it doesn't really require any faith. Faith simply becomes this, this spiritual idea, some, something we talk about at, at church maybe or something like that. that. That's all faith is. But it's easy to have faith when faith is easy. But let me say this. It's critical to have faith when life is in crisis. Sure, it's easy to have it when it's easy, but it is critical that you have faith when life is in crisis. I, I, I said earlier that, um, that faith is not as hard as you think, and, and, I, and I really believe that that's true. As a matter of fact, all of us uh, every day operate in, in an element of faith in, in some way. Right? When you, when you go out and you get in your car and you go to work or you go to school or, or you go to the shopping center or wherever it is that you go, you're operating in, in, by an element of faith that, that it's going to start, that it's going to operate properly, and that you're going to be na- able to navigate yourself to the location safely. That, that's an element of faith, right? When you order Thai takeout from the place on the corner, there's an element of faith in that, let me tell you. You're living on the edge at that point. Right? And an atheist operates by faith when, when, when he or she declares that God does not exist. You do understand that an atheist cannot prove that God does not exist, right? 
They, they cannot prove that God does not exist. And so by faith, they declare that God does not exist. So, so faith is something that we operate in our, in our lives to some degree. But, but listen, in those times in our life when, when it all comes crashing down, when that crisis moment arrives, when, when the road is steep and your circumstances are bleak and your strength feels weak and you want to say bleep, it is critical that you have faith at that point in your life. It is critical that you choose to believe in the God that has been revealed in Scripture, this all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere-present, eternal God. It is critical that you believe in Him in that moment when, when nothing looks right or feels right or is right in your life. You have to choose to believe. You have to choose to have faith in God at that moment in your life. It's critical. And listen, here's at least, at least part of the idea of why it is so critical. Look at this. Authentic faith glorifies God. Authentic faith. And, and by the way, the authenticity of your faith really isn't revealed until you're in the midst of that trial. Right? Like I said, when it's easy, oh yeah, believe in Jesus. But uh, you understand what I'm saying? But, but in that in the crucible of that fiery trial, that's when the authenticity of your faith really begins to show up. And, and authentic faith glorifies God. When you choose to, to, maybe not ignore, maybe that's not right, but when you choose to reject your circumstances and what they're telling you and what, the, and what they are, I'm not, I'm not downplaying them, they're, they're authentic, they're genuine. Uh, the, the loss of a job or a diagnosis or anything. It's real. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm just saying, but you choose to, to reject that in order to, uh, to believe that God is greater than your circumstances. God is greater than your trial. God is greater than whatever would come into your life at that point. God is glorified when you choose to do that. When you say no. And I tell people that some of y'all that, that I mentor with and stuff, you know, you hear me say this a lot. I tell people, say it out loud. Say stuff out loud anytime you can, if you don't think somebody's going to call the funny farm on you or something, but, but just say it out loud. And, and in those moments when they come into your life and it's all crushing you down, has anybody ever been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? When it is crushing you down and you stand up and you say, no, no, I will not believe these circumstances. I understand they're real. I know I'm going through them, but I know that my God is all powerful, all knowing, everywhere present, eternal being. And I know from what his word teaches me that he is a good God and I will choose to believe him no matter how bad the circumstance is in my life. I choose to believe that God is greater and that God's knowledge is greater and that God knows greater than anything I could know. And so I will hold on to that truth when I have nothing else to hold on to. It glorifies God. Here's the second reason why it's so critical in Christ is to have faith. Second, authentic faith empowers us. And listen, if you've done this, then you know this is true. If you've been in that situation where it's awful and it's terrible and, it's, and it just feels like this pressure and this weight is coming down on you when, you, when you suddenly make that declaration, I'm telling you, it empowers you. It strengthens you. God strengthens you in the midst of that trial. And the trial, golly gee, Batman, I wish I could tell you that the trial will dissipate. I wish I could tell you that, it, oh, it's all going to get better. But I, I, don't, I don't know that. I'm not, 
I'm not God. I'm, I'm not going to pretend to have his wisdom or his power. I don't know how long you'll have to go through this trial. I don't know how deep the water will be. But I do know that if I will stand on the promises of his word and the, and the goodness of his character as revealed in Scripture and as he's revealed it a million times in my life already, then it will empower me to keep moving on. To not just, and, and I, I want you guys to get this, to not just endure. God does not want you to endure your trial. God wants you to triumph in your trial. That's really what he wants. Well, is that even possible? Are you saying that the trial will go away? No, that's not triumph. I mean, it's, it's great, and, uh, and we can pray that way, and we can want it to, but triumph is being able to overcome even in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that adversity, in the midst of that crushing weight, to be able to say, no, greater is he that is in me than he is in the world, and I'm feeling his strength working in my life, and I'm choosing to believe God in the midst of whatever's going on in my life. And, and, in, and in third, and just as importantly, it's, uh, this idea of, of having faith in the midst of the, of the, of the crisis, authentic faith draws others. Listen to me. <laughs> it's another one of those golly gee Batmans. Golly gee Batman, I wish God would just take us out of all the trials and tribulations once we become a believer. Wouldn't that be cool? We're just... But he doesn't do that, does he? God doesn't take us out of the trials and the tribulations. He doesn't take us out of the, the sin-cursed world. We are still in the sin-cursed world. And again, I don't need to tell you this. You already know this. Bad things happen in a sin-cursed world. They do. Automobile accidents happen. Cancer diagnoses are given. Jobs are lost. Marriages fall apart. It's a sin-cursed world. And God does not remove us from this world. And, and we can talk about character and all that stuff that God may be... But at least part of the reason that, that we are not removed from the trials and the tribulations, that we're not put in this, this big Holy Spirit bubble that protects, supernaturally protects us from all the stuff that happens, at least part of the reason is because... Everybody else out there has the same junk in their lives. Everybody else out there has job losses and cancer diagnosis and, and, and marriages that are on the rocks and, and troubles with, with, with children and, and, and all of them. Everybody out there has that same stuff because it's a sin-cursed world to every single person. That's, that's how the world is. But listen to me. They have no hope. None. They have no hope. And like a moth to the flame, people are drawn to hope. And if we can exhibit that hope in our lives, if we can in some way choose to say no to my circumstances, that I'm not going to let those control me, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not, that I'm going to choose to say God is greater I'm going to believe God is bringing me through this. God is going to have victory through this. In whatever way he chooses to do that. When we can have hope in our lives, I'm telling you, people want hope. All right, I know I've got I to hurry here. There's so much to say about all of that and maybe stuff for you to ponder and, and think about. But, but let, let me give you one more takeaway uh, from, from Joseph and what we see. And we, and we see it in his life, and it's this. Faith obeys God no matter how illogical. Right? Because there, there is nothing logical about Joseph taking Mary as his wife. Let, let's be honest. Right? There, there, I mean, really, there is. He, there's no logical reason for Joseph to take Mary as his wife. Rumor, innuendo, uh, gossip, uh, taking on the financial responsibility of a child that he knows biologically is not his. 
But faith obeys God no matter how illogical it is. I, I, was, I was thinking about this when I was working on this sermon. And, uh, and I was telling uh, Russell Hill about this the other day when we were meeting that, uh, and some of you know this story, but uh, my wife and I moved to uh, Tennessee years ago, back, uh, like 1986 or something like that. We moved to Tennessee. Uh, uh, we were living in Florida, born and raised in Florida, I was. And, and, um, and we moved, but we moved to Tennessee because Cindy's parents moved up there and we had gone up to visit. And I got to see snow for the first time. And there were like mountains. And it was like, this is, this is awesome. This is like cool. Leaves would fall off the trees and turn different colors and all that kind of stuff. I'd never seen that in South Florida. I'd never, you know, except maybe on a, a, a card, a greeting card or calendar or something like that. And so it was cool. And, and so I'll just be honest with you, right? I'm being as transparent as I can be with you. Uh, I, I worked for the post service. I wasn't in ministry. But... Uh, I thought it'd be a good place to raise our kids. A small little rural area. Good place to raise our kids in Tennessee. I, I didn't really, I'm just telling you, honestly, I didn't really consult God a whole lot about it. Now, I had given my life to Christ, and I were very active in church and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure I prayed some, but I'm just telling you, I, it just, just seemed like a good move. It just, you know, we can serve God up there just like we can serve Him here, right? And so we moved to Tennessee, and folks, we were just flat out miserable. With a capital M. There's no, nothing, nothing against Tennessee. I love Tennessee now. But, but we were miserable. We hated it. We hated it. That's all I can tell you. Is that we hated everything about it. It was cold. That snow that looked so cool when I first saw it. Now it's having to deliver mail in it. And that was not cool at all. It was, it was cold. And it was, you know, and, and the church, it's a long story, but the church that we attended there, um, it did, they, I'm just telling you, nothing, the, the, the Word of God was not taught, okay? How do I put that? The Word of God was not taught. The first Sunday, Cindy and I walked in there, we were the only two people in the church that had, our, had a Bible. And so I thought, well, this probably can't be a good sign. <laughs> and then I found out why. It just wasn't something that was going to be used. And so, so our spiritually, we were miserable, and everything was, we were just miserable. And so we began to pray that God would let us go back to the promised land, back to Florida. <laughs> And um, uh, you probably don't know this, but in the Postal Service, you can transfer anywhere in the United States you want to transfer if they have an opening and the postmaster wants you, if he wants to hire you. And, uh, and so we began to pray that God would let us go back to Florida. You know, oh, Lord God, we will never leave again. We'll get back there and we'll be happy and it'll be warm and, and the, we'll have our Bibles being used and all that good stuff. And, and so, and it's, again, long story, but like seven months, seven months later, seven months later, the, the Lord opens the door and we get to go back. The, the postmaster down there in Okeechobee took me back and went back and, and uh, seven months after we left, we were back. There's a lot happened in between there and so much I could tell you about God's stories. But anyway, we end up back in Florida and it's like awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> it's good. And life is good and everything's going good, right? About three years later, we're laying in bed one night, and Cindy says, now, I don't want you to think anything about this. Have any of you guys ever had your wife start a conversation like that? <laughs> now, now, I don't want you to think anything about this, but for some reason, I've been thinking about Tennessee a lot. And uh, Cindy says it was silent. You know, I was just like st- silent, stunned for just a second. And then I said, me too. 
And so, and we'd walked with Jesus enough at that point to say, uh, okay, something may be up here. And so we, we continued to pray, and, and just long story short, we became convinced that God was asking us to go back to the very place that we absolutely hated and were absolutely miserable. That, that we believed that he, and now in, the, in the meantime, you need to know that we had continued to pray for that church. We had a burden for that church and the fact that the people needed to grow in Christ and grow in their understanding of God's word and all that stuff. So we continued to pray that God would work in that church. Watch out. <laughs> and we became convinced that God wanted to now here's what, here's what I'm going to say and then we're going to wrap this thing up everybody and I mean everybody friends family even our pastor thought we had lost our ever loving minds what you're going back to the place you hated, to the place where you were miserable, to the place you couldn't stand, and you got out of there as quick as you could, and you're going back to the exact same place. Everybody thought we had lost our minds. That's what I'm saying to you. Faith obeys God no matter how illogical it is. Now, so much to say, but all I can tell you is we did go back and, and, and a new pastor had come in and that pastor needed some help in the student ministry and we began to help in that area and through a process of, of a few years being there, uh, we, we responded to God's fall, call to, to full-time vocational ministry and, and, and pastoring a church. And, and, and it's, not, I don't, it's not unreasonable uh, to, to, to stand here today, it's not, it's not irreasonable to stand here today and tell you that none of us would have ever met and I never would have pastored this church had I not done what was absolutely illogical or had we not done. See, faith obeys God no matter how illogical it is. Grab a hold of that today. Now, obviously, you've got to make sure that it's God speaking, it's God saying this and everything else, and there's processes to work through in that and, and prayer time that has to be spent. But, but when you're convinced that God is moving you to do something, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. All that matters is that you obey because that's what real faith is. You know, I was reading that the African impala can jump to a height of 10 feet and can cover a span of 30 feet with a single jump can jump as high as 10 feet and cover 30 feet in their jump. I, I knew they could jump and they're fast and all that stuff, but I had no idea they can as high as 10 feet and cover 30 feet in their jump. But do you know that an impala can be held in any zoo in the world with only a three-foot wall? Do you know why that is? An impala won't jump where they can't see where their feet will land. They won't take a leap of faith. God is asking you and me to take leaps of faith in our lives. When we can't see the bottom, and we can't see where it's going to land, and we can't see where it's going except to believe that God is there, that He is the firm foundation on which we can stand. The early church father, Clement of Alexandria, said this. I love this quote. Clement of Alexandria said, Faith is a voluntary anticipation. I love that statement because it so hits the nail on the head when we talk about faith. Faith is choosing to believe that God is there, that God will be there, that God will bring us through this. Faith is a voluntary anticipation to believe that God is out there in front of it, that God is in front of my circumstance, God is in front of my trial, God is in front of this, this terrible thing that I'm going through and my family's going through. God is there. Come on, come on, y'all, come on. We wind up this year as we move down into 2015. As you move forward in your life, come on. 
take a leap of faith with God. Faith believes God no matter how unbelievable. Faith obeys God no matter how illogical. Today's look at the life of Joseph gives us some real insights into what a faith-filled life looks like. As Pastor Clay pointed out, from a human perspective, it made absolutely no sense for Joseph to take Mary as his wife. But in obedience to God, he did so. And God was able to use Joseph in a way that blessed him and the whole world. A faith-filled life certainly doesn't mean that we won't have any problems. But choosing to walk by faith allows the opportunity to honor God no matter where the road takes us. That's always a good direction to go. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their lives feel disconnected with the type of life and faith that they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy of I Get It today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.